than first. So in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, we've been talking about true worshipers. I'll come back to our key text a little bit later, but I want to bring it from the conclusion. Paul says this in the third chapter, starting in verse 1. He said, finally, my brethren, who's he talking to? The church. He says, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things again is no trouble to me, but is a safeguard to you. So notice Paul says, I don't need to say anything different than I've already said. What I've already said is enough and strong. Amen. Don't ever get tired of hearing something you've already heard. Because number one, it's a safeguard to you. The minute you say, oh, they're talking about faith again. Oh, they're talking about healing again. Oh, they're talking about you lose your safeguard. What you do is you run the risk of becoming deceived and being pulled away by verse 2. Beware of the dogs. Say dog. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be a dog. Right? Don't be a dog. All right? I said, don't be a dog. Be a gator instead. No, just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. It was, you know, it was there. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. So again, this comes after the first verse where he's telling the brethren to rejoice in the Lord. And the things I'm saying to you, I'm saying this because it's a safeguard. So in reality, if you do not uh, maintain the things that have already been spoken, then you will run the risk of the dogs, evil workers, and false circumcision getting into your mind. Verse 3, for we are of the true circumcision. I like this. Paul identifies real quick that there's a false one and there is a true one. Now, when we say circumcision, you know, what does that mean? What that literally means, it means this, that someone has been separated from the world and is dedicated to God. That's what that means, okay? There is a natural side of circumcision, that we don't need to discuss that this morning, but what it means literally uh, is that there are people who have been cut off from the world and they are right with God. They're different. But Paul identifies there are these that give the appearance they've been cut off from the world and that they are separated to God, but it's a lie. Are you with me? Paul the apostle stood in pulpits which he wasn't standing in a pulpit at this time. He was actually in prison when he wrote this letter. But he would write letters to his church and churches, and he would communicate to them that there are people who say they love God and are separated unto God, but they're a liar. Look to your neighbor and say, don't be a liar. Because you can be. The Bible tells us in these end times that there are going to be people who have a form of godliness yet deny the power. What's that mean? The power to transform their thinking so that their life always stays in alignment with the new creature they are in Christ Jesus. There will be those that will only take the instruction of God and the way God supposedly works and they'll do it in their flesh and not by spirit. That when God begins to deal with them about their mind and their heart issues, they'll resist that and just work it out on their own. They'll look like they're godly, but the reality is they're not. Amen. How confident are you that the person beside you doesn't fall in that category? That's a sobering thought. Now, ultimately, you can say, wait a minute. Well, if that's the case, then how could we trust anyone is? Because all you got to do is actually follow the word. Because truth is not an idea. Truth is a spirit. Truth is the third person of the Godhead. Jesus said when he comes, that is the spirit of truth. And the Holy Spirit never misses it, never gets it wrong, never does not accurately identify a person's heart or a person's situation, or a person's thinking, or a person's motive. Never does he get it wrong. Never. He knows whether you're truly believing God and firmly persuaded, or whether you're not. You're putting on an act. He knows whether you're truly living righteous all the days of your life, or you're only looking righteous when you come in church. He knows every bit. He knows where you're at in your secret places, in darkness, when you're away from everyone's eye. He knows how you act. He knows your motive. He knows it all. He's truth. Yes. It's not an idea. It's a person. And it's not just a person. It's God.
Can I get an amen? amen? Paul clearly then says there is an identifiable, uh, clear indication the difference between a false separated unto God person and a true separated unto God person. Right. Hallelujah. And Paul said, I'm one of the true ones. Now, you could say that's really presumptuous that he could say that. No, he could clearly say that. Why? Because he put his life in alignment with the word of God. He crucified his flesh daily. He knew the temptations of trying to work it out himself. We're going to see here in a minute. He says, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put what? No confidence in the flesh, meaning he would not allow just because he naturally could do us do something, do something. Even if naturally he could do it and it seemed like it could be a blessing, he would restrain himself from doing it to determine, does God need me to do this? Because I'm not here to impress anyone. I'm here only to do one thing, follow the will of my Father. He goes on and says it this way, if anybody could, right, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. So then he goes on and says, this is how godly you can look without God. Go ahead and look to your neighbor and say, are you godly? Do you look godly without God? It's a great statement to ask. So he says, listen, let me show you how godly you can look without God. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. So if anybody looked godly, if anybody, the world or, or the circles that he ran with says, that is a righteous man, that is a godly man, that is a God-fearing man, he had bragging rights. Yet he concludes in the next verse, he says this, he says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. And in essence, he realized no matter how much I tried to look godly to attain God's favor in my life, to attain where God would, would acknowledge me as one of his kids and accept me, when I met Christ, I realized it was filthy rags. It's nothing. That anything I do of my own initiative, I follow the law because I want to be right with God. I want to do it. I want God to acknowledge me. I want it, and I'll keep it. I'll do it my way. I'll do it the way I want to do it. I don't want you to tell me how to do it, God. I want you to accept what I do. But when he realized, and when he met Christ, he realized there's nothing I could have done. That's why when he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he said this. He said, my gosh, man, there was within me this nature to sin. And though I did not want to sin, I found myself sinning. The very thing I didn't want to do, I find myself doing. What a wretched man am I? Who will save me from this life of sin? But he answers it. But thanks be unto God who causes all of us to triumph, how? In Christ Jesus. That I needed to get a new nature. That my spirit man was dead to God. My thinking on how I could connect with God. My actions on what I perceived were, were blameless. And when I lined it up with anyone else, I thought they don't hold a candle to me. But as a result, when he was confronted with Christ himself, he realized, I'm a mess. I'm wrong. He goes on and says this, verse 8, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, Lord, supreme in authority, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I might gain Christ. In essence, I'm done with my flesh. I'm done with my way of thinking. I'm done with my way of doing it. I'm done with living God on my terms. Hallelujah. Are you living God on your terms? That's a good question. Are you living for God on your terms? 
when you choose to, when it's, when it's beneficial for you, when it's, when it's convenient, when life's going good right now, and when you're healthy and got money in your pocket. I mean, is that when you're living for him? Or do you find yourself only running to him when your life's in chaos and it's in calamity and you've done everything in your own distraction? Now you're begging God to do something. And in his mercy, he reaches down and says, I, I'll help you, but I could do a whole lot more if you just discover yourself. Yeah. Hallelujah. He goes on and says this. He says this, that I may and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Then he says this in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. This word, you understand, I kind of hate that the Bible uses this word. Not because, again, in the English translation, you know, we're not in the original Greek. And so you begin, different translators begin to look for words, you know, to try to go ahead and, 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 and grasp a concept of God. But every time we see this word, so many believers lock up and say, well, you know, we're not perfect. But this word perfect is not perfect, meaning you never fail or never make a mistake. This word perfect literally means mature. That's what it means. It means that, listen, not that I've already become mature, that I've walked into this thing and I'm fully there. He says, but I press on so that I may lay hold of. And what's he laying hold of? That also... Uh, uh, of that which also was, I was laid hold of by Christ. Meaning, when I was pursuing my direction with God the way I thought I should have. Because when Paul went into cities to persecute the Christians and to condemn them to death and throw them in prison, he thought he was doing God's work. And I'll even submit this to you. Paul never changed gods. The God he served was God the Father. What changed about Paul was his revelation of who his God was. Because the, the, the guy who wrote the law... The God he was serving who wrote the law that came through Moses that he studied and all the prophet stuff and that he studied and he was zealous for and the things he kept came from people who really heard God the Father. The problem is he didn't have the revelation of who the Father was. But when Jesus came, revelation came. Hallelujah. And so here he is going in a direction of what he considers godly in his mind, in his soul in his will and intellect, and in all of his training. Yet Christ says, hold on a second. You're going in the wrong direction. Because that day when he was on the road to Damascus, all of a sudden a bright light shone, and he heard a voice from heaven saying, Paul, he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why do you kick against the goads? And he says, who are you, Lord? He acknowledged him as Lord that day. He said, I am Jesus Christ, whom you persecute. He said, but because you've called me Lord, I want you to know I've called you to go to the nations. And you're going to go into a city. And a guy by the name of Ananias, I believe is his name, is going to come and pray for you. He'll see you in three days. And when the voice left, Paul's blind. Because the light was so bright, it burned his retina. Basically, he, he was scabbed. It's not that God struck him blind. His eyes scabbed over. There's a difference. And so he goes in, led into town, and the Lord speaks to this other man and says, go find this man on this street and pray for him. And he says, what? You want me to pray for that guy who's got papers and authority? To throw us all in prison? He said, he's one of mine now. Hallelujah. I said, he's one of mine. And I've shown him 
Listen to what the Lord said, told him. He said, I've shown him what he'll do for me and how much he'll suffer for me. Nobody wants to make Jesus the Lord of their life and suffer, do they? That's not one of the reasons that gets us running to the altar, right? No, I just want the God that lets me stay like I am, do what I do. His grace covers all that, and I get to go to heaven and live like I don't. Okay. No, there's a change in DNA. You become a new creature in Christ, and then the Holy Ghost lives in you, and the Holy Ghost doesn't hang out with filth. The Holy Ghost renews a filthy mind and changes our thinking. And so... He's prayed for, the scales come off, and Paul hits the ball, hits it running, and all he's doing is pursuing Christ, Christ. He said, brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And you know what he was forgetting? He was forgetting his failures, his mistakes, his deficiencies, his zeal that was out of place, his trying to pursue God on his own. He forgot that, you know what, I think I'll figure out God on my own terms. I forgot that. I quit that. I forget the fact that I was a murderer and that I persecuted the church. I let that go. I don't let it condemn me. I don't stay in condemnation. I don't say I came from this background, was raised this way. I was from his. You know, I let go of my old past. I don't identify myself with that. That man's dead. I'm a new person. He said, I forget the old man and I'm a new man. And I put on the new man every day. I walk in this new man. I discover this new guy. I pursue this new guy that I am. I listen to the Holy Ghost on the inside of me. I pray in the Holy Ghost so I'll do God's will. I want to discover myself. And fulfill his purpose. You'll never get to your future as long as you remember your past. As long as you identify with the hurts of your past, you'll never conquer them. Never. You can never identify with anything associated with your skin suit that's past. You must forget it. And no, I'm a new creature. I'm a new species of being. And inside this scoot, sin scoot, sin suit, skin suit, skin suit is a blood-bought, royal man of God, woman of God, a child of the king who has a destiny. And nothing in this world can contain me. That's who I am. So when you look at me, don't look at me from the outward side because God doesn't. God doesn't look at me and say, you are and you came from. No, he says, you're in Christ. Hallelujah. So don't put the sins of anyone associated with me on me because they've been forgiven. I said, they've been forgiven. I'm in a royal bloodline. Hallelujah. And I forget it. Not condemn. I don't even condemn myself for yesterday's mistake should I had one. Do you know it's possible to live without blowing it daily? In fact, it should be normal. It should be normal to wake up every day and be able to live righteous and holy. That it should be abnormal that you blow it. And when you do, you're quick to repent, say, God, I should never have done that. Forgive me, Lord. I know that's not within my nature. I put the new man on, and I'll apologize, ask for forgiveness from anyone that I may have offended, may have hurt, may have done something to, that I willfully done. I change that. I get that right. But that's not an everyday occurrence in my life. Why? Because each day I can walk out juicy fruit. Hallelujah. Juicy fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is part of my life. It's the nature. It's the character. It's the culture of the kingdom that embodies me. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? Amen. He says, man, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let, therefore, therefore, say therefore, therefore, let us therefore, as many as are mature, That's what that means. Have this attitude. What's the attitude? Forget what lies behind and press on. Don't put confidence in the flesh, but only put confidence in Christ. Learn how to want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering so that you can accomplish the purpose and plan that God has for your life. Have this attitude. And if any, 
And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Meaning, if you don't have the attitude I just gave you, God's going to tell you to get that attitude. You can't keep the one you have. That's bold preaching by Paul. I'm telling you, Paul would not be received well in many circles today. In fact, I know Paul is up there in heaven right now because he's in a cloud of witness, and you know he's saying, now, Jesus, you know that's not what that meant. Oh, I'm preaching now. You know that's not what I meant. And Jesus is saying, I know, and the Holy Ghost is talking to that minister, but he's wanting to do his own thing. Remember, you said in this letter, the very first chapter, that there are people who are preaching my name with selfish ambitions. Paul, that hadn't changed through the ages, and you know this. So, they have your letters, and the Holy Ghost is trying to give them the right interpretation. As you wrote in the first chapter, that there are others that are preaching my name from the right motive, out of love, and that's how it's supposed to be. You articulated that. The problem is the ones who are doing it out of selfish motives are not listening to my spirit, wanting to be deceived, and are, are clearly not interpreting the word precisely. And let me say this. You, as a child of God, will always be at risk of being deceived by a minister if you yourself do not read the Bible Cover to cover. I've said for years, and I'll say it again, even today, you're not obligated to believe anything I say because I say it. You should search the Scripture for yourself to declare it as so. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of ministers who would not want you to do that because if you did that, you'd realize that ain't right. I know when God begins to show me stuff, I go to my wife. I go to my uh, other pastoral staff. I go to other ministers. I said, this is what I'm seeing. What do you see? I'm, let me tell you how I'm seeing it by the Spirit of God. I want to make sure I don't preach in vain. I run it from Genesis to Revelation to make sure it stays in context. Passionate about this thing. That way, when I hear a lie, I can say, that's a lie even if they do say they are circumcised. That ain't right. Nope, that's not what the Bible says. Nope, that's a tradition of man. And you'll never hear these things if you yourself do not subject yourself to the Word of God. If, you, if this is your church, and you've been here for years, you still can be deceived if you are not studying yourself, even though we are passionate about rightly dividing the Word of Truth. And that doesn't matter whether you've went through our Mighty Men 318 for three years and you've gone through Kingdom Institute for three years. doesn't matter. You must subject yourself to the reading and studying of the Word of God on your own. There is no bypass. Just because a minister is well-known don't mean they rightly divide everything right. Just because they shout loud doesn't mean they're shouting right. I have no problem with you taking everything that we say on any given subject at any time and go look it through and even take the position, this ain't right, let me prove it wrong. Because if you could prove it wrong, I need to know. Because this is how confident I am about truth. When you go to get rid of it, it gets stronger. Because I'm not afraid. The spirit of truth is talking. He will not withhold from you if you seek him. There's a thing that's being lost in the church, but not here. It's called personal responsibility. God has never pulled personal responsibility from us. In essence, he gave us the responsibility back. When we were lost and separated from him and our spirit man could never get right with God, Christ did what was necessary to get us a new spirit man. Why? So he could give us the responsibility to grow and be a child of God again. So that we would hear the Holy Ghost in us and we would renew our minds. We would be transformed by the renewing of the mind because we would subject ourselves. Because Jesus said, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and get converted people because they're idiots anyway. They can't never do it right. Let me say that again. Because they're idiots anyway. They're stupid. 
They're dumb. They'll never get it right. They're just poor old pitiful sinners, and they're just a hopeless cause, and that's why I came to die for them so that I can get them into heaven. That is not why Jesus came. Jesus said, go make disciples, which means this. He has given you the power to study. That's what a disciple means. It means to study. And in fact, Peter says, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman. I thought just being born again made you approved unto God. Oh, I'm preaching now. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Now, again, you can't rightly divide the word of God unless you're first born again. So he does the part you can't do. You get born again because of the blood of Jesus. Then the Holy Ghost comes and lives on the inside of you. Now the whole Bible can come alive. You can grow as fast as you want to if you'll just subject yourself to the word. And don't go to you version and pick the, the next famous minister that we consider a famous minister because they put a devotion in. Well, even if you read their devotion, say, well, let me study and make sure what they're saying is even right. And that's not being critical. That's being hungry for God. Because some people only teach based upon the revelation they have. I know when I was born again in the Baptist church, the revelation in that church we know for sure, nobody would disagree with this, is that you must be born again. And is that true? I said, is that true? You bet that's true. I preach that here. But then I went to an Assembly of God church, and they preach on the baptism of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in tongues. I never heard that before. And thank God I didn't hear from it, to be honest with you. Because there were Baptist churches that preached against it and said it was of the devil. They were in gross error. Gross error. Never had to get that rewired. Didn't have to get anything different, you know. Just, okay, never seen this. I'll believe the word. Sure enough, uh, that man took me through Scripture. It took me about two months to get enough faith to realize, wow, that's it. And then I received it. You know, you didn't have, don't have to take three months. You can get the minute you're born again. But I've never gone backwards. I never said, well, I'm not going to teach that now. I know it now. I must continue to move forward in what I've been taught. Continue to press towards those things. Continue to grow and develop. But I didn't receive it just because a man told me. I studied it with him. And then realized... That was in this same Bible my mama gave me when I was a child, yet they never went to that passage of Scripture. Then it made me think, what else is in here? <laughs> then I went off to Bible school, and this was after I was youth pastoring. And I youth pastored after I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, but I did not understand how to teach it. So... For that youth group that I was with for about three years, I never ministered on the baptism of the Holy Ghost without even speaking in tongues because I'd been so wired just to do salvation. Many got born again, but they didn't receive power. Gosh, but that's all I knew. It's where I was at. And I was preaching with passion based upon the revelation, but then God began to reveal more. And after I'd done hundreds of sermons, I go to Bible school, sit in a man's class, and in five minutes, I look at my wife. I said, I don't even know the Bible. This guy had pulled so much scripture on a subject called faith. I thought, wow. I'll never forget Pastor Daryl Huffman. Y'all know him, and most of you do. He talks about his experience with Rhema, too, and he says, you know, he was gone, and it just blew him away. He didn't know anything, you know, didn't know anything. And then all of a sudden, he said, Brother Hagin was going to minister on the subject of being born again. He says, I'm going to that. I know that subject. I'm going there. Because he said every other thing they talked about, I felt like I was just dumb, didn't know nothing. He said, then all of a sudden, Brother Hagin started talking about the new birth, and I looked and thought to myself, I don't even know the new birth. <laughs> now, he was born again, but he didn't understand it because there's so much. And if you only allow your growth and development come from this time that I minister, you'll be severely stunted even though you have a testimony, I've grown so much. True growth comes because you decide I'm going to learn for myself. Paul presses on. And he says, keep this attitude. And if there's a different one, God will reveal it. Then he says in verse 16, however, 
Let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Let me read verses 13 through 16 in a translation called the uh, Complete Standard Bible. It says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ. Therefore, let all of us who are mature, spiritually mature, the New Living Translation says, think this way. If you think differently about it, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, you should live up to whatever truth you have attained. Whatever truth you have attained. I do not understand how someone could be in the messages you hear here and decide to go to a place that does not teach these messages. Nor do I understand how we can sing songs and declare things that are not scriptural when we know better. That we do not take the time to scrutinize or better word, to hold those words up according to Scripture and discern whether or not it's of the truth. For we started this whole teaching about being a worshiper from John chapter 4. And remember, in verse 23 and 24, it told us that, listen, an hour is coming and now is, and we're in that hour, okay? Uh, when the true worshipers which implies there's false ones, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So how is it that we worship the Father? The only way you can is in spirit and in truth. You can't from your emotions. You can't just from your intellect and mind. That's why when worship comes in and all of a sudden, Pastor Marcus, by the Spirit of God, begins to dance and says, dance before the Lord. It's not because he's tired of seeing you stay behind the seat and want to see you move. It's because there's unction in a dance. There's unction in a shout. Do you understand there can be unction in action? In fact, if you don't do the action that the unction declares, you'll miss the power. That's what the whole Old Testament teaches us. I want you to walk around this city silent for six days. There's power in silence. But on the seventh day, I want you to walk around it seven times. And notice God did it on the seventh day. I thought we were resting. Okay, I'm pre- this is after M- Moses. Six days do this. The seventh day. Somewhere in there was a Sabbath. I'm preaching. Okay. So on the seventh day, there's unction in the silence six, how many times? Six, seven times around. But when the trumpet blows, there's no more anointing in silence. The anointing is in the shout. And if you want the wall to come, you better quit being quiet. You better raise your voice. And some of you, your miracle literally is a shout away, but you remain silent. Because when unction to shout is there, you don't feel like shouting, so you are kept in your feeling instead of jumping over in the spirit. The Lord said, Gideon, the anointing is in the breaking of lamps. The anointing's in the breaking of lamps. I want you, you can't take all these people. There are 30,000 people. Can't take all these people. You got to get rid of them. Find out who's scared. 23,000 leave. Okay. (laughs) Then he says, let's see who drinks right. Then we get rid of the next, you know, majority, and we're left with 300 people, and Gideon's like, seriously? He was like that because the Lord's like, okay, if you're still afraid about the numbers that I have, Go down to the camp and hear what they're saying about this whole deal. And he says, now I want you to get your lamps. I want you to hide your light. And I want you to station yourself. And so he says, 100 you go here, 100 you go here, 100 you go with me. And then at the right time, the anointing's in the breaking of lamps. They uncovered and light showed. If they never would have pulled the light, if they would have been in fear what are we doing over here, man? 
they can't see me now. You know, if we pull this light, they're going to see us. We're going to be exposed. You know how many people are down there? We can't even count them all. My gosh, we going to die. This Gideon is an idiot. We had 30,000 people here. Surely that was enough. And he runs everybody off. What pastor runs off people? The ones who want victory. Because there's no reason to hang out if you're afraid and ain't never going to do nothing for God. I'd much rather move a city with 300 than have 30,000 that can't even move in a different seat or have any faith anywhere. Now, I would prefer to have 30,000 Mount Movers, but if I cannot get 30,000 Mount Movers, I'll sure take 300 and route a city. Hallelujah. So they pull the covers off, break the lamps, and the enemy kills themselves, and they watch it. What? What? They're not even coming up here. They're killing themselves. Do you see this? This is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Wow. And then they go get the spoils and come back like, wow, you guys. It was a fight, bro. <laughs> How did y'all do it? You wouldn't believe it if I said it. <laughs> Whatever you think, that's would you just leave it there. Man, you don't even lucky to have a scratch on you. <sighs> yeah, I know. You a bad man. Right? No, you better give God praise. I said, you better give God praise. No, I obeyed, and God did. But you know what? Never, not all battles was without fight because even when the walls came down with a shout they didn't go in there and lay down inside Jericho they went up in there with swords and took care of what was needed to be taken care of and you know what there's another time the Lord says send the singers out first and all they did was sing about God's faithfulness and his mercy endured forever and just took the band out and the band went out there, and the marching band went marching. That's where we get marching bands from, right? Went marching. Next thing you know, the enemy's destroyed long before they get there. I'm just telling you right now that true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And God doesn't do everything the exact same way, but he does it according to the way. And if you'll find out what that way is for you and act on it, it'll take place in your life. So he says the father seeks. That word seeks means he demands it. That means he's not looking for anyone else. And no other expression of worship moves him. I don't care how much you cry. I don't care how much you beg. I don't care how much you pour your mind out before the Lord and all that you think he should or shouldn't do. How much anguish you're in. If it's only in your soul realm, it's not moving the Lord. But if you'll learn how to tap him with your spirit, then your soul realm will leave. For some, you can only dance because you feel good. You got a tax return, got a bonus, got a raise, and you're going to give God glory. Why don't you give glory before you ever got any of that? Because the praise comes because the word says it, not because we feel like it. Amen. And worship is not singing anyway, right, guys? Worship is obeying God. So I'm telling you right now, this morning, I worship the Lord because the last two days, I have been moving my house. I have been sweating like a dog. I have been picking up things left and right, putting it in stores, moving it to one person's house, to another person's house, living in absolute disarray, waiting for my home, whenever that is. And the reality is, I had this feeling this morning. Stay in bed. Yes, came to my house. Well, I'm homeless. Came to the house I'm residing right now. I love that, Andrew's son, Wyatt, yesterday. We were coming out of uh, Target after baby dedication, and uh, Wyatt was there, and he goes, hey, you know, he sees us in a different place. It's not church, right? And so um, we're like, hey, how y'all doing? And Wyatt goes, I want to go to your house. I said, I don't have a house, man. And Wyatt goes, you're homeless? 
serious as serious can be, I said, yes, right now I am. You could say that. You could say that. You could say that. And he was just like blown away that his pastor's homeless. I mean, he felt for me, right? I mean, I said, but I'm staying with my mother-in-law. Everything's going to be all right, Wyatt. Everything's going to be all right. I'll get in a new house in a, in a, you know, new to me. It's not a brand new house, just a new house to me. And I'll be in a new house in a couple weeks. But he was stuck. I mean, he's like, what? <laughs> Hallelujah. Out of the mouth of babes. Amen. That's just how it computed. You don't have that. So you must be. Technically, yes. All right? So again, he demands us to be this worshipers. Verse 24, again, it says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship, must worship in spirit and in truth. So let me go to Isaiah 29, and then we'll go back to Matthew and conclude. Um, nope, let's go back to Philippians first. Let's get down to Philippians 3.17. So then Paul says all these things and says, listen, I've lived life from the soul and thought I was worshiping God, but the reality is I wasn't. I was a false worshiper. But when I confronted God, and when I met Christ, I became born again, and the ability for me to worship him manifested. And as long as I continue to move forward with him, I stay true in my worship, and I only worship where I attain. So for me... I'm always worshiping God based upon my level of um, revelation. And I maintain where I attain by only allowing what I know to, be co to come from my mouth. So when I go to other churches or other conferences or, or I hear a particular song sung that I know is not in line with God's word, I will not sing it. I will not give voice to it because I, two things I have to conclude. One, they do not have the revelation of Jesus that I have that's just where they're at. Or number two, they have a revelation and they're only ministering from their soul out of experience. And as I said last week, if someone writes a song and they say, well, this song came out of an experience I had. If that thing getting lyrically right with the word of God, then it's only a soulish song and it is not touching the heart of God no matter how much you identify with it. Just because you've gone through something does not mean, does not mean that that's exactly how God is ministering to people across the board. Do you know God sometimes will minister to people just to let them know that he is around and don't you want to discover me? And you can't apply where he's trying to touch someone just to let them know he's alive and carry that through your whole walk with God. When you are lost, he pursued you. But the minute you're born again, he says, draw near to me. Why? Because you can now. Nothing stops you from coming. Nothing stops you from pursuing because now you're alive unto God. And so Paul's saying, listen, we've got to continue to move forward. And when we get to a place, we don't go back. And we don't entertain things that draw us back from what we know is truth. Period. That's why every time we do a song on the platform, we do it based upon what we know according to Scripture. And there are popular Christian songs today that really should never be in a church service. But people just hear a song in Jesus' name, and it's got a few contexts to Scripture, meaning there's some Scripture thrown in there that they know is a Scripture, and they take a hook, line, and singer and sing it, and it does not really glorify God at all. And sometimes you just got to take a stand. And say, man, we can't do that. If we're going to sing this, we're going to have to change it to get it in alignment with God's word. Because I will not sing that which I've not attained to. Period. Then he goes on and says, brethren, join in following my example. Notice he said, don't follow the example of the false circumcision. Follow my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom 
I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are what? Enemies of the cross of Christ, whose, who, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. What's he saying? You've got to continue to grow. And the minute you get to a place, you can't say, well, I, I, you know, I'm just not going, I'm just going to go back to this. The minute you do, you set your appetite on something else. You shrink and pull away. And where you once were a true worshiper, now you're a false worshiper. You just know how to package yourself. How do I know this? Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13 says, Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts from, far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. The New Living Translation says it this way. And so the Lord says, These people say they are mine, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules Learned by rote. What's the word rote means? It means their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commandments of God. This is why you'll never hear us say, oh, because all of a sudden the, everybody came to the altar and everybody's falling out here. That God's here. Well, that may not be God. You'll never hear us say, well, we didn't have service day because we didn't have someone run, shout, dance, sing. You know, worship just wasn't as, um, praise wasn't real powerful today because nobody jumped out and came down here and danced. In fact, there was a very interesting observation someone said to me. The minute we carpeted everything up front, people quit coming up front. I don't know if that's true because I actually haven't been paying attention. But if for some reason carpet scares you, it's actually softer down here. And, and coming out worshiping the Lord is on you. It's no big deal. Don't be afraid of the carpet. It's very nice. Softer on your knees? Not a whole lot softer, but it's still softer nonetheless. Okay? Feel free to come. If you draw attention to yourself in your dance, which I've had people do, then I can pull you away. Hallelujah. I am the shepherd of the sheep, the under shepherd, and I'm not going to let you bring worship attention to you, but we'll bring attention to the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. And you can dance like David danced. You can shout. You can run. Whatever in the moment that's right. But if all of a sudden holy hush hits and you start screaming, we'll correct you. If we're shouting and you're being quiet, I would love to correct you. But typically you wouldn't hear me because everybody else is shouting. <laughs> if you've been with Anchor Faith Church for eight years or more, would you stand to your feet? Five years or more. I'll go one more. Four years or more. Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthian church, and he chastised them. He said, at this time, you should be spiritually mature enough that the conflict you're having should not take place. But you're acting like mere men. You're staying a babe in Christ because of the envy and strife that's there. Which tells us this, as, as a studier of the Word of God, that you can develop spiritual maturity within four to seven years. Which means everyone standing right now should be at a level of spiritual maturity. Which tells me this, services go as you want them. If you're waiting on me to bring the anointing in, it's not going to happen. I bring an anointing. But the people beside you need you to pull it in. And you know how to respond properly. You know how a shout can happen in a service and how a dance can happen in a service and how a testimony can do. And you need to be vocal. You need to step out and you need to do and do it the right way with God. And I guarantee you, if all of you would have responded during tyranny's testimony, the glory would have fell. I say that because God needs us to rise. 
And when I look out at the seas of faces, I'm seeing three-year graduates from Kingdom Institute or School of Life, whichever one. I'm seeing three-year graduates from um, our mighty men. I'm seeing people that have double-dipped in both of those. I'm seeren women that have, that have studied God's word. And I, you need to bring the response because you'll know it, the anointing's in the shout today. The anointing's in the dance. And you just need to step out and do it. And if there's ever a service that needs that to happen, it's this one. And if you're in first service, you need to do the same. Because first service tends to just want me to teach. And I don't want to just teach. I want demonstrations. Which means you may not feel like it. But again, we worship in spirit and in truth. Amen? You can be seated. I'm counting on you to do that which God's called you to do. To rise up and be the expression of children of God. As Paul wrote, as he finalizes the Philippian uh, chapter, he says, for we are citizens. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And the reality is, if we're going to be true worshipers, then we have to change our thinking. I conclude with Matthew 4, 17. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the reason why we come together in this corporate time of worship, this corporate time of obeying God at his word, is so that he can distribute by his spirit to those that are in need. And when a corporate anointing drops, there's no need for anyone to have to come up at that point. Healings are manifest in their seats. Those that are lost without God will run to the altar and say, what must I do to be saved? Those that are out of fellowship with God, the conviction of God would be so strong on them I can't run anymore. It'd be like a prodigal son. They'll, they'll come to their senses and say, I've got to come home. A dance in the natural, a sermon in the natural does not change the hearts of men. But the anointing of God is the yoke-destroying, burden-removing power of God. And it comes... When true worshipers respond in faith and say, I'm going to do what you said, Father, because I'm hearing it and I'm acting and I'm going to release whatever that is.